This is Rugga Matrix America, brought to you by the USA Sevens Tournament. I am Alex Goff from Rugby Magazine and RugbyMag.com, and as always, joined by Bruce McLean from New York City. How you doing, Bruce? I'm doing great. Very cold here in New York on this Martin Luther King Day. Uh, happy Martin Luther King Day to all all of our listener base. And we have a terrific show today. We've been we wanted to get into some of the domestic issues and Super League, College Premier League, high school rugby, um, what it is to act like a professional and 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 run your run your things together. And we figured that there was. No better guest than the Rugby Magazine Coach of the Year and a man that I have known for quite a long time, the newly married Michael Tolkien, USA Eagles defense coach, Xavier High School coach, New York Athletic Club coach, and various camps around the country when people need him to do things, coach. So to without further ado... What's up, Mike? Welcome to the show. Good to be here, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, well, welcome to the show, Mike. And uh, you know, how's married life treating you? Well, it's, uh, it's actually a month in tonight, so so far so good. The meals have Congratulations. Been that's all. That's all. Happy at home. Thanks, Alex. That's great. Well, we're, we've got a bunch of stuff we wanted to talk about, and I think that uh, um, coming up really on the horizon right now is the the USA Rugby Super League which will will uh start play uh, in the middle of March March 12th and a bunch of interesting and weird things that have gone on with the league I think the most obvious one is that it's now 11 teams it dropped down to 10 with four teams dropping out and then uh in a in a situation where the league could have added two teams could have added uh, the, the, the top of the list was the Glendale Raptors. They didn't add that team. didn't didn't vote for them to come in, but did vote for a brand new team that's nobody's heard of. The Utah Warriors, which is started from scratch, getting funded uh, and and put together for the Super League, which is a new thing. So the the first thing that strikes me, and you guys can you, know, you, you guys chime in on this, is that eleven teams. It's just a really weird number. It's very difficult to put together a schedule. I actually think that the guys, the 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 Super League, put together a good, uh, a, a a pretty good schedule based on the fact they had 11 teams. But 11 is you know you don't want a prime number when you come to setting up a league like this. No, it, it's uh, you know Alex, it's tough. Um, you know we kind of weathered a little bit of a storm. Some of it we knew was coming with teams rumored to drop out that did drop out, and you know we were really doing our best to try to get an even number, but it didn't work out that way. And uh, a lot of people did a lot of work to try to come up with the best schedule they could, and I, I think they did a pretty good job on it. Um, reminds me a little bit of interleague playing baseball. You know, some of the yeah, matchups yeah. are great, like us in Old Blue, and some of them, uh, you know, are not so natural, you know, like Boston Life, even though they are both competitive and competing for the top of the East. It might, might not be a natural rivalry, but, uh, you know, we did the best, and uh, the people making the schedule did the best they could, and uh, I applaud them for their efforts. Well, we've seen a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we've seen it happen before where the league sort of begs for a team to come in and goes searching for teams, and it's really not the way to go. you got to have a, a – if you're going to add somebody, you're going to have to add somebody that you're pretty sure is going to be able to fulfill the schedule. Well, yeah, it's a – you know, it's certainly this is a – 
a mixed cup here. It's um, you know, one sense, like you said, it, it's a it's an unknown commodity in terms of this team is brand new. Um, it's a collection of players. Um, we we haven't seen. We don't know what's going to be ahead. Uh, on the other hand, they offer things that could potentially be good for the league, like facilities, uh, top rate facility. Uh, Utah rugby has always been strong and have had good players coming out of it. Uh, and you know, on top of that, these times don't necessarily let us uh, predict or uh, control what's going on in terms of who comes in and who's not. You know, during this re- beggars can't be choosers, right? Right. In this recession, you know, yeah. we're trying to really preserve the league and uh, and weather this storm. It was kind of interesting how how it all went down, though. How, the Utah Warriors only needed a, a a majority vote to get into the league. Well, the Glendale Raptors needed a two-thirds vote. They needed a supermajority because there's another team in that city. So, and and that was one of the problems. And Utah wasn't allowed to vote on the Glendale issue. So it was it was a ten-team thing. And 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 so you need seven teams. You need seven votes. And 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 Denver wasn't going to go for Glendale, so that's one down the tubes there. And actually, the way the way the vote turned out, it was actually a surprising surprising in who voted against it and who voted for it well what what was the breakdown what was can't i can't break oh, that oh, down you can't. i can't do that I, I but i can say that it was surprising that i guess that uh you know phone calls were made on both ends and and that's what went down um mike was there any argument over that was there argument about that stuff it was, you know there was there was campaigning uh alex you know behind the scenes as you would imagine teams you know calling and then surveying and, and stuff so I think there was a lot of internal debate, you know, among uh, coaches and league, mainly league reps about it, uh, making their cases uh, for and against. So that kind of thing went on. Um, I know that for sure. Uh, one thing I can say about Utah is going back, you know, into the mid-90s, whenever they've thrown an event like a high school national championship, uh, I've been to four that they've, that they've hosted and some college and men's events. They've always been done extremely well. Uh, they're extremely capable, and the facilities have been excellent. Um, so I know from past record that we can probably rely on that. Um, you know, the rugby we'll have to see. But again, a lot of gifted players out of there. It's a little bit of a chance, but it is an, a bit of a known commodity as well. The one thing about the campaigning and the whole thing about voting for or against Glendale, and I, I, I guess what what makes me nervous about even talking about it is simply because. Some people get the feeling like when we said we we put out something that said that basically Denver helped kibosh Glendale getting into the league, and I think that the fact that we reported that doesn't mean that we think it's a bad thing. I actually personally I don't, I I agree with uh, Denver Barbarians' own viewpoint of it. If I were with the Denver Barbarians, I probably would have voted against Glendale, but that. You can have two viewpoints about that. You can say, well, I think that Glendale's joining the league is good for the league, and at the same time say, but I don't blame Denver for not wanting them, and, and, and if they're trying to build something and say they're the Super League team, I, I can understand why they'd want their, their little pond to be the to be their pond and not, not share that pond with anyone else. It is a tough call Yeah. either way. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, the, the one thing, I, you know, some and this has been from some reps in the league, uh, yeah, I can understand Denver's concern. Um, one of the arguments that some people have said, and this isn't only about Glendale, uh, it's been said by other reps about teams in general, is they're worried about, you know, say, for, for example, Utah or Glendale. 
uh, paying players or being a professional player or an all-star team. Uh, I don't get that because, A, nothing says that players can't be paid in this league. B, you would think that we would want to have the best players playing. Now, whether a team is right or wrong about who they choose is, is their story. But the fact that if a player gets paid or 10 players get paid on a particular side, uh, I don't understand anything in the rules that are against that or why is that wrong if it produces a better league. And that's, a, that's an if. No, it, 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 there's, there's an awful lot of uh, um, holier-than-now attitudes about payment and stuff like that. And as far as I can see, that the, what the Warriors are doing at least now is paying players' expenses. Which is, oh, wouldn't you want to just say, well, great. Yeah. Well, I mean, on, on on top of that, but some of the people, some of the people throwing those stones are, are the worst culprits of, of making it happen. And what the Warriors are really doing, they're paying American players or, or helping out American players in order to play rugby. And, and that is something that we do want to, I think that it's something we do want to graduate to on, 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 unfortunately, you know we can't, but that doesn't. And it's happened in the past. There've been plenty of teams who've paid players and looked after players, but and we try to look after players too. You know, we, we can you know get, give a guy an apartment or something like that, and and those and those types of things. We want our players to be looked after. We want our players to have medical care. We want our players to have a gym to work out in. We want our players to be able to like live freely during the rugby season that is that's the ideal thing i mean ideally they get paid but at least you want to be able to look after them and um you know i, I think that the utah warriors are going to are going to give us a, they, they have highland they have united they have byu and they have utah that's that's a pretty good pool of talent to pull from you're looking at they should be pretty pretty solid out of the box i'm not saying that they're going to win six games or they're going to be the number one team in the league, but they have a pretty good shot at doing well out of the box. And I think that that is, that's impressive. And I think that they have a vision and, and, and there's growing pains coming in no matter who you are. And, and, and there will be for Utah as well. But once they figure those out, they're going to be a pretty formidable opponent and they're playing in Rio Tinto stadium that's that's going to be a big draw. That's a big draw. People want to play on a on a team that matters. You know what, Alex? I think too. Um, you know, one of the things about that Rio Tinto Stadium and teams having facilities. You know, as we try to grow our sport here, and uh, you know, on the Super League and colleges have their own issues. Um, we want good venues. You know, if we can get TV, that's great. I mean, you know, I don't know that this will ever become, and you know, probably will never. But you know, the NFL in its earliest days was a lot of guys working two jobs playing in crappy stadiums and no TV. I can make the comparison, you know, to the early days, you know, to what it becomes is a different story. But, you know, good stadiums, being able to get it on TV are slow little steps. And I'm not saying anyone who rocks up and has a great stadium, you know, is into the Super League. But that definitely goes a long way in trying to make this legit. And Dave Hodges last year was really trying to look into getting a relationship with uh, the Professional Soccer League, you know, in the United States. And you know, co-using their stadiums, um, you know, because he recognizes that, hey, a good venue makes it look a lot more attractive. Well, you know, the comparison to the NFL is an interesting one. I mean, people forget that the NFL was a kind of a nothing league for a really long time, really until Red Grange came and saved 
the league in the 1920s, and even through the 1950s, guys had second jobs. Uh, same in Major League Baseball. I remember reading on the back of baseball cards that I had, you know, about a player, he's a welder in the off-season. These guys were selling insurance in the off-season, you know, yeah. working second jobs. And, you know, the whole thing is to gradually get more and more respectable. And, you know, if our guys can get looked after and our stadiums can be better and we can get a little TV, it just helps. And that hopefully brings in some sponsorship and some fans. And, you know, it's little steps, but it's improvements. I think one of the biggest things that we have to guard against is being a country club. And we have to make sure that we allow the best talent to be in the league. In in saying that, like, I I where, where Denver came from in in their argument against Glendale is fine because Glendale hasn't hasn't won at the Division One level yet or hasn't really proven to be a full success there. Excuse me, I'm having trouble with my belly. Um, so they're just so that's one of the things. Now, in the event that Glendale was a winning team or a, or a national finalist or or something like that, that would be really, really poor form for the Super League not to allow them in. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If somebody is deserving of entry, to hold them out to try to be like a good old boys country club network, that's wrong. It's wrong, and it shouldn't happen. So, you know, that what we need to do is be attractive for teams to want to come and play with us. Uh, one of the things that – one of the criticisms of the Super League is there's a lack of games. And that's a criticism from within the league as well. And one of the reasons we I have agree, a lack yeah. of – well, one of the reasons we have a lack of games – the Eagles essentially need their players this year on March May 21st. We really can't start playing until March 19th, March 12th, um, safely, weather-wise, so that we don't have any travels. I mean, we've been around for 15 years. Well, this is our 15th year. Kind of know we kind of know the drill there, and you really can't fit that many games into that time period. After that, it becomes Eagles and Sevens, and, and you know there's a lot of things going on. We don't have a, a window, and, and one of the things I will say is that no one is stopping teams from playing each other. We play teams all the time that are demanding teams outside of the Super League, as do other teams, and a lot of teams complain, oh, we only got six games. Well, bro, you didn't make the playoffs or seven games or whatever it is in, in different seasons. You didn't make the playoffs. You know, the Long Island tournament was a week later after the season. You didn't go. You didn't schedule games against anyone else. You didn't have a contingency plan. You knew somewhere along the line that you weren't going to make the playoffs. Like, what was your contingency plan? They just stopped playing. And then they start blaming the league. Nothing. The league didn't do that to them. They did that to themselves. You know, but it, it, we only have a window. That's that's a competition. The Super League is just a tournament played within the season. And you know, the the, the well, argument well, is to play him. The argument is to try to play in fall and spring. And I think Mike can that's, uh, that's can address Mike can address that. And because I, I would address it quite angrily, Michael may, <laughs> may do it with a little bit more tact. Well, that was my argument. Uh, you know, you can't expand it forward, so you've got to expand it backwards. Uh, I think that the arguments that some clubs have, regardless of whether they're right or wrong, 
is that friendly games are fine, but they're not games that mean something. And you need games that mean something. Yeah, well, you know, Alex, I think, that, you know, there's the argument of, you know, a preseason game is a game that doesn't mean anything. You may play a good team and it may not have the comp- competitive nature. But I also think if you, uh, as, as people have proposed, if you stuff more teams in, um, all of a sudden you're playing that 15, 60 point game where you win by 50, 60 points three times in a season. And how much does that mean? So I don't know that that's necessarily a valid argument because I think either way you have the same same issue. You know, you put more teams in, into a league, a lot of them are going to be much weaker. Say, for example, if you put Nyack into a certain league, we would put up a lot of points against some of these teams that we played. And all of a sudden it's games for game's sake. Uh, and it doesn't really – it's not really worthwhile. Well, one of the, one of the other things – and Alex, I, I don't see that changing. I, you know, we have, we have a window. USA Rugby asked us to play in the fall – in the spring window – and that's what we have, and and we used to have till the first week of June, and they keep cutting it back on us, and you know we we have we'll essentially probably have till the first week of June moving forward after this, but that this is where we are, and that's what we're able to do with what we have. Well, that was my argument. Uh, you know, you can't expand it forward, so you've got to expand it backwards. Uh, I, I think that the arguments that some clubs have, regardless of whether they're right or wrong is that friendly games are fine, but they're not games that mean something. And you need games that mean something. Yeah, and and also that, that, that becomes very, very... Logistically, that becomes difficult, and it's also a real stretch on guys, even if they are being paid. You're still not being paid enough to totally live. You're getting helped out to play rugby. Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday's rough. It's also difficult on, on the players <clears throat> to do it for a long period of time. Now... Uh, there are – there's a lot of good things that happen in the Super League. We have improved our facilities. Most of the games were played in public parks, and even the AC has made a dramatic upgrade in facility. Old Blue has made a dramatic upgrade. San Francisco Golden Gate has made a dramatic upgrade. Uh, Denver Barbarians play at Dick Sporting Goods. That's a dramatic upgrade. Utah Warriors are playing at, um, at, at, at Rio Tinto Stadium. Life is – Life has a good stadium down where they're at. So I think I, you Puget know, Sound is also they've redone their field. Right Puget Sound did a massive upgrade. Yeah. Well, they they were they were the guys who probably were under the gun as much as anyone else, playing out at uh, Marymore Park with all the molehills, having yeah. having coached teams playing around those molehills. Uh, you know, moving to Magnuson on an artificial surface, uh, I think I think is an enormous. Uh, improvement for them. I think that artificial surfaces actually are one of the biggest boons to the game of rugby because we're not being accused of chewing up fields that soccer teams chew up and and we're able to play in inclement weather without <clears throat> without having the field have problems and most of those fields are lit and we're able to have practice facilities. So I think that that's helping our level of play. And, and you know, the other question about the Super League is the level of play. And while I, there is a disparity, and, 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 and there's, a, there's a pretty big disparity between the, the top few teams, top, it's usually between three and, and six teams that are, that are really pretty strong, and, and then the bottom teams. And, and, and that's just, I think that's just a factor. But when you look at the level of play of the Super League, you take, take for instance, the, in the World Cup in 07, 
the United States played England and lost 28 to 10 against a team that eventually went to the World Cup final. Um, if the United States all-pro gridiron football team were to play against the United Kingdom or the English uh, amateur gridiron all-pro all team, the only thing that would stop the American team from scoring is the clock, especially if they were training and especially if they needed those games. The only thing that would stop them from scoring is the clock. Whereas we were able to hold them and actually play a game. I think that's an indictment of how professional rugby needs to get a, needs to really step up its game. But also it's an opportunity to show that with a little bit of effort and a little bit of, of smarts and, 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 and putting things together professionally and correctly that we are not that far off from being able to make a splash. So is it an indictment on uh, professional rugby overseas or is it a, a compliment to what we're able to do in the United States despite all the all the obstacles we have? I would say it's a, I would say it's a combination of both. Now that's also to say that's not saying that they're that they're not that they're um, all problems, but I would say that it, when you talk to professional players who have come in and played in our Super League, they are shocked at how good the league is. Yeah. They are shocked because they expect it to be crap. And Mike, would you would you agree with that assessment, or or because you you probably have your own opinions on that, and probably pretty strong ones. Yeah, well, you know, I I tend to agree with you on that, uh, Bruce. That um, a lot of the guys who have come, we've uh, ma- mainly our foreigners who have lived here and played with us have been um, have been Australian for the most part, and they are actually pretty surprised at how how good the league is in terms of the top top level. Uh, they would compare it to uh, a very good second grade, bottom of the first grade, um, you know, in a Sydney comp or, you know, a couple of the English guys we had. Uh, they were all very impressed. People, and, I, you know, I, I'm always very looking for people who are going to give honest answers, who are brutally honest. And I think Bruce is the same. And they've told us, they go, we were surprised at the level of play. And that's from some spectators that we know and guys who have played with us and on some of the other teams. And, you know, they, they, they think that the standard is good. The, their main issues um, in playing-wise have to, a lot to do with kicking uh, and a lack of kicking ability and talent and uh, tactics, um, and that's probably their biggest difference. But um, you know, among a few other little things, but they 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 like the level of play. Well, I think that uh, it the, the the level of athleticism is still pretty high. Wouldn't you agree on that? There was a uh, last year after we played. Uh, Puget Sound in the playoffs, which you know, was a great game. Uh, it was a close, really well-played game at Travers. Uh, and I think I did an interview with you, or you know, it was a post-game, and I noted that there were a lot of former uh, American high school players on the field. You know, there was Rob yeah. Bishop, there was Petrie. There was about eight or nine from both teams, maybe more. And, uh, you know, someone had noted that uh, the Super League is actually washed-up players. You know, what are you talking about? Uh, it's old guys playing. And I'd listed every player who had gone through the high school. And there were guys who went through the under-19s system. You know, there, there was Frank Sharp, Rich White, Mike Petrie, Ryan Bishop, a couple others from Puget that I knew. And 
you know, there was a lot of guys who played, and they were playing at a very good level. Anyone who watched that game, so it was a, it was a really well-played game and played at a high level. And uh, I think that says a lot about the guys who have come through the system. And, and I think the other thing is the, the level of athleticism is is what it is, but the level of desire that you need, you have to love rugby to want to play in the Super League. It is It is difficult because, like, say, for instance, just an AC player in a road game week. You, you, you'll, you'll train on Monday. You'll lift or, lift or run on Tuesday. You'll lift or, or run or both on, on Wednesday. You'll train on Thursday. You'll travel on Friday. You'll play on Saturday. You'll travel home on Sunday. That's a, that's, that, that, your whole week is rugby. You don't have any time off. You don't have any time to yourself. Yeah. You so know, while it's, it's a short season, that, that, those 12 or 14 weeks or six, it actually turns out to be about 16 weeks with the preseason. That's a lot to ask of a player. That's a lot to ask of an amateur. I think of an amateur yes. player, as Bruce said, you know, it's, um, you know, a lot of people, maybe people will be listening and saying, hey, you know, you guys are uh, just, you know, blowing smoke up the Super League and, you know, playing it up and it's really not that great of an entity. And there's no doubt it has its problems and we're always looking to try to improve it as coaches. Um, but I think considering, you know, some of the things Bruce said about being an amateur organization with amateur players who work and have to travel, when you take that all in consideration, I think a lot of the results and the fitness levels of the of, of the top teams and the skill levels and the way the teams play are pretty commendable, all things considered. Well, you know, uh, the story is, uh, fr- I think it was from the the World Rugby Classic, the you know the the Masters uh, International Competition, where you know, on the off days all the teams would go play golf and the Americans would show up and they would be terrible golfers. And everyone's like, the the other teams would would say to them, "What are you kidding me? You know, the United States is just awash with golf courses. So, well, all we do in our free time is rugby. We don't have any time for anything else. We this is why we're terrible at golf. We just don't have any time. But the thing, the, the Super League. I mean, I've been reporting on the Super League since it started, and when it started, just like with a lot of these types of competitions, some clubs got it faster than others and others just thought just just like with professional rugby where you know the first few years of professional the professionalization of of rugby union in around the world coaches and players all thought we're going to do the same thing we did before we'll just get paid for it but it's not the same thing i think over time it did get better teams and players have a better idea of what it takes Take a team like the Dallas Harlequins, who were 0-6 last year. Put that team in the competition in 1999, and I would argue they'd have a winning record, just as in professional rugby around the world. And the Super League, the I'm sorry, the the Super League coaches and players now know more of what it takes to operate and play in a national league. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think that. Uh, that example, Harlequins could go back and and win more games simply because of what's been learned over the years. And the other thing you brought up, Mike, was the open opening of the doors to the under-19 players, which I think is huge. I mean, it's not just the Richard Whites or the Frank Sharps, guys who played in the national team, the U19 national team some time ago. It's Ryan McTiernan, who's not that long out of the U20 program, or Sean Pittman. And we're seeing 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds starting on Super League teams because they're good rather than having them wait four or five years because, quote-unquote, they have to pay their dues. Yeah, that's a good point, Alex, because, you know, as teams come in, you know, to Travers or we travel, 
we constantly see guys that, you know, I've come across either in the under-19s or who played on a, a local or uh, a team in the a high school team in the national championship. And these guys are involved in these clubs and playing a big part. And it's great to see. I really, I always enjoy seeing that because they're getting their shot and they're making the most of it. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit and say whether something was better in 1999 or now or whatever, the different eras, it was different game. But the Super League has been around for 15 years. And Alex Goff and Rugby Magazine are trying to put together an all-time team for the Super League. And Mike and I have definitely looked at it. Alex, we had spoken about it for a while, and a lot of coaches and people are looking at it. It'd be interesting for people to email in their comments and thoughts as to what they would consider to be an all-time team for the Super League. I mean, there are, you know, probably Philip Eloff... It's one of the only absolute no-brainers, you know, the only others that we've we've really even, you know, talked about is, you know, possibly a Bloomfield or a uh, or an Ossentowski and a, and a Bartley up front. But even then, you had, you know, you had Leclerc up front. You had – there's been so many tremendous number eights, so many tremendous flankers, so many tremendous second rows, <clears throat> excellent scrum halves, um, Mark Williams, uh, you know, and then – Unbelievable fly half fullback. There's been so many great teams from Aspen, Belmont Shore, Old Blue, New York Athletic Club, San Francisco Golden Gate, Chicago Lions. There's been and and there's players who on teams who who haven't like a more crick from Pack who has dominated the league for seven or eight years. Well, well, I think that longevity is a big deal for me on this. You know, you've had plenty of players who've come in for. For one year, I remember David Hallwell came in and played one season for Aspen and helped them win a championship and then went back to play uh, Super Rugby down in New Zealand. Uh, you know, he, he played very well, but it was just one year. That doesn't really uh, get you on an all-time list. You have to not only contribute to a team, whether helping them make champion, win, win championships or uh, helping them be better than they would be, significantly better, uh, and you have to do it for a long time. I think of uh, Henry Bloomfield as a great example of that. Um, you know, he, he did get capped by the USA, but not very often. It wasn't. That's not the point. The point is that he was a central figure for uh, a Belmont Shore team that made many, many Super League finals. So I am interested in what everybody has to say about this. If you played in the Super League, if you coached in it, if you watched it, if you're just interested, uh, email me at editor at rugbymag.com and let me know what you think. And Mike, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. And I just thought I'd, you know, there, there are a lot of difficult uh, difficult choices to make here. And I thought maybe I'd throw one out there and and, and maybe you might think that you're, uh, people would think you're biased on, on one side of this, but uh, that's okay. It's uh, You coached Mike Petrie for a very long time in, at, at Xavier and also at, at New York Athletic Club. Uh, and, and Mike wasn't in the Super League a very long time, but in a space of four years was the starting scrum half or the uh, key player for three Super League champions on two different clubs. So that's an impressive record. But then you look at Mose Timoteo and Timoteo, while he may not have done that kind of championship run, has been a key figure for for a very long time in the league. He has a tremendous high-quality longevity, so that's kind of the balance that we're striking in trying to pick a team. 
Yeah, that I mean that that's a tough one. I mean, when you mentioned you know some of the Super League uh, scrum halves, Timoteo is not only has he been around and performing at a high level for a long time, but I think he's one of the great competitors. You know, if you're coaching against him or playing against him, you know, whether it was 15 years ago or today, there's the same intensity and leadership, and that, that always really impressed me about the way he played. You just see that he wants to beat you, and he is always making his team go back. And, you know, he, he did come back from that big injury, too, and uh, he, did, he didn't lose much from that. Uh, Mike is always a really prepared player, same type of intensity always prepared to, to play, uh, you know, keeps his body in perfect condition and his skills sharp. And, uh, you know, they, they, they represent two of the great scrum halves of the league. And I, I certainly don't think you can leave Christian Mayo out, who, whether it was back in his days in Australia or his uh, six years with us, you know, it has been the heart and soul of the AC before Mike came, even moved to another position uh, to help, you know, accommodate Mike. And uh, one of the great competitors ever in the Super League of any player. And and, and you, you, know, you look at the scrum half position, take a look at the hooker position. You have Robbie Flynn, you have Mark Crick, you have uh, uh, Ian Walker, you have Matt Wyatt, you have, I mean, and, and, I'm, and I'm, just, I'm just scratching the surface there of when you look at what you have to choose from, it's actually very interesting. And it's almost like you'd say, like if you're a coach, you'd say, you know what? Pick a first team and a second team, and I'll take the second team because they're going to want to prove that they're better than the first team, and I'll coach them because they're going to want it more. The first team guys may be reading their own press a little bit too much. And, and, and you, you look, I mean, you have John Vandergeese who had a, a, a really tremendous career. Um, and, and, and you look at a guy like Tim Russo who, you know, probably is very underrated as a player who, who hooked for Denver and, and Kansas City. He had a powerful scrum in Kansas City, and when he went to Denver, he was a leader on, a, you know, a young team and was able to win lineouts and and be able to help those guys be a better side. I think that you look at players and say, like, did they make everyone around them better? So that's those are some of the things that you know. I think that it's interesting. The Super League is good. It has. I mean, look, the worst part about the Super League, it, in bar none is that our promotion is dreadful. We are dreadful about promoting our, our, our games. And our reporting is dreadful. We don't report our games. You know, Alex, Alex, you and I were speaking off air that five minutes after the game, you should have a, an email sent out with all the scorers, all of everything, everything you can, the score of the game, to everybody who's going to use it, and try to get that up on the Internet immediately. And what's happening is we're getting it up on Sunday night or Monday. I mean, everybody knows the scores, but nobody's interested. Well, you know what? Uh, the Super League has a guy who, who does that, who has to chase around all those scores. I'm not going to throw him under the bus and say that he doesn't do the job. The thing is that it is very difficult to chase people down. I think you make the point there, Bruce, that everyone's got a phone. Somebody's got a phone, right? And 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 if you don't have email on your phone, and everybody does, don't you have a, a, a texting function? I think everybody has that. And I would think that the the, the small number of, of reporters who are reporting on this should be able to get a text with a score and who scored the tries from anybody involved in a game five minutes after the game. Text it to me. Seems to make sense, right? 
Yeah, no, that, that's definitely right. It's not a big thing to, not a big thing to ask, and um, I think a lot of people just fail to delegate. It's a simple thing. It, you, you just got to kind of cross your T's, dot your eyes, and and have people on the job, like you said. And uh, you know, we're we're lucky. We have a, a guy who's right on the ball, keeps great great stats, and it's not a tough thing. Pick someone out, have them do it. Someone you rely on, and it's easy as pie. Yeah, and I think what Bruce, what Bruce said is right. You know. We're, we're terrible as a whole promoting ourselves. And you know what? The New York Post, Sports Illustrated, New York Times aren't walking the sidelines of Travers Island, <laughs> taking, no, no. Um, writing stories about us. we got to produce our own material, and you do, and all the other teams in the Super League does. So that's kind of how we have to view it. And, and I'm not throwing John Duty under the bus when I say that, when I say that we're terrible. I think it's the teams. Yeah. I mean, yeah, teams. you try to get scores from John. I mean, sometimes it's like, hey, I, I don't have a score. It's like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday. How could how could you not have a score? It's just guys aren't sending in. And the other thing is this, Alex. Let's just get it straight from, from Jump Street. They, you don't have to call them. You shouldn't have to call them. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to. You shouldn't have to call them. But wait, what teams don't you have to call? You don't have to call Life College. You don't have to call Cal Berkeley. You don't have to call the New York Athletic Club. You don't have to call San Francisco Golden Gate. Yeah, I'd throw a few more in there. You know, BYU, St. Mary's on the college side, obviously. Uh, you know, at, at different times, Arkansas State's been very good. Uh, San Diego State. And on the, the on the Super League level, uh, I, I think you hit them. You know, Chicago Lions have been, always been very accessible. Boston has always been very, very good. Uh, you know, sometimes I have uh, a club that has a great photographer, and they send me wonderful photos, but I don't have a score and don't have any details on the game. I'm sitting there with this great uh, photographic help and, and nothing to write about. Uh, generally, though, I would say that uh, if a team is successful, this is a gr- gross generalization, but if a team is successful, they're usually good at getting me information. And uh, I will tell you that I always have a special place uh, in my heart for the, the coaches and the captains who call me when their team loses. It's not always an easy thing to do, and I have a lot of respect for the people who keep doing that, uh, even when they're having a rough season. I think we've beaten the Super League to death. <laughs> Um, but we have to pay some bills, Alex. Well, we do have to pay some bills, and we do want to remind everyone about the USA 7s in Las Vegas, February 12th and 13th, and of course the Las Vegas Invitational, which starts on February 10th and has all kinds of great matchups, Elite 7s, uh, CCS 7s, Women's International 7s, and also uh, 15s matches, college and club challenge matches, U19 stuff. It's got everything. And, uh, uh, Bruce, that's, that's really not everything about the, the tournament. There's the rugby, but there's also, it's just fun to be there. I, I tell you, I, I will say to everybody, it's worthwhile going. You're going to see some of the best college rugby. You'll see some of the best club sevens rugby. And then obviously you're going to see world-class international sevens. And on top of all that, the nightlife is really fun. You'll know where all the rugby guys are. It's like a really cool giant rugby party. And it's it's a good it's a good spot, and I think that anybody who goes to the USA Sevens is gonna be very happy that they made that choice to go. You're gonna see people that you would never have expected to see. That I mean, I remember uh, last year I saw John Barnes from who was one of the one of the stalwarts of the New York Rugby Club and one of the one of the heavy guys who founded St. Francis Prep Rugby Club and 
couple of the high school programs around and, and really worked hard to develop rugby. And I saw him there and didn't know he was going. He was there with his son, Bruce. And, and that's, those are the types of things you see. I saw Fred Paoli. I never expected to see him. And, and it was a lot of fun. And I think that it, that's why you go to USA sevens. You go and you watch the sevens. As I said, I said, I've said it on many shows. I watched, I only watched the USA play and I watched like one half of a game where, one of the Asian teams, I think, upset Argentina or something. And that was it. Or something. Other than that, I just um, – I literally just walked around the stadium, drank beer. They pour it from the bottom. It's really cool. It go, like you, They put a plastic cup on top of the thing, and it fills up from the bottom, and then they hand it to you. And it's one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. And as you have more and more of them, it becomes more and more amazing. <laughs> but it was uh, – but it's a lot of fun, and I it, think that it, everybody should go. And it's everybody a lot of everybody should, should go. And it's USA7s.com for all the information. LVIRugby.com for the Las Vegas Invitational. And, of course, Rugby Magazine and RugbyMag.com for all the scores and all the news. Looking ahead to the college season, we've, we've done to death, right, the Super League. Well, we have another Super League coming in for the first time. That's the College Premier League. And... This is all brand new, 31 teams in four conferences. Some of the questions that I have going forward on it is I, I wonder as much about logistics as anything else. We're talking about teams that are traveling all over the country. Some of them, while they've traveled a lot, they usually travel at playoff time. It's sort of a culmination of the season. You know, you made the playoffs, you get to travel. But I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough for some of the teams who are not doing well to realize they have to fulfill their fixture, they have to really uh, um, step up to the plate, as it were. And I wonder what you guys think about it in terms of, especially the logistics, because the logistics, I, I think, are going to be difficult. I'm also excited about the league. Uh, overall, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, many years ago in the past, uh, I had been a critic of college rugby, mainly because I, I, I called it a wasteland, and, and it was but mainly because there wasn't coaching resources, there wasn't uh, great players coming into it. There just wasn't an organization, you know, save uh, a dozen teams around the country, half the uh, two dozen teams around the country. But over the years, and especially the last five, ten years, um, five years really, uh, they've really gotten themselves together. And, and, I, and I speak from seeing not only my Xavier guys, but kids from the Northeast, having gone to programs where they just became – uh, the president, the treasurer, the, sec the match secretary, all of the above, and wound up not playing any decent rugby at all, not getting coached, and ultimately quitting. And now, when I see the Xavier kids, not only uh, are they having a great experience getting great coaching and having great games, but they are getting recruited. Uh, last week, we had a Syracuse coach down at Xavier. Um, we had uh, Norwich down. We'll have them coming, and well, several others. And there's a whole list of possible scholarships. You know, now it's, it's starting to trickle in, $1,000, $500, scholarships here, there, started by alumni who remembered a coach or an old player. And this is where it's starting, and I hope it evolves from here. But it's a great start that parents and kids are seeing coaches come to recruit them and have a possibility at some money. Hey, a little money is better than nothing. Could be, you know, some, a meal plan, a little bit of spending money, whatever. But this league, I think, is a, is a great endeavor. It's going to have problems in funding. Uh, it's a big endeavor. It's very, you know, very ambitious, but I, I love to see it. I'm not poo-pooing it in any way, and I think it's, it's, it's outstanding. Um, the regional idea is great. 
competition, I think, you know, will be uneven at first. Uh, teams are going to need to catch up, and I think playing better teams, uh, a harder schedule than they normally have, will help a lot. I'm really excited to see how it works. They're going to have growing pains, just like the Super League did and even still has. But these are guys who are really ambitious and uh, are very enthusiastic and have planned for it and talked about it for a long time. It's going to take well, time to, to grow into shape, but I like the idea of it. Well, I look back at the beginning of the Mid-Atlantic Premier League when you had several teams that were used to making the national playoffs, and then they changed the way that everything was structured so that maybe they were in a situation where they wouldn't make the playoffs. And that is a difficult thing to take, and uh, it happened. Where in the in in the Mid Atlantic, teams were five and two or something like that, and they didn't make the national playoffs. And teams that played pretty well or thought they performed fairly well still ended up one and six. And that's going to happen in this uh, college Premier League. And I'm just interested in how the teams are going to respond. How are they going to react? How are they going to bounce back? I think I think that they they understand what they're getting into, and I also think that. It's a it's a funnel for high school kids. It's a place for guys who have aspirations at a high school to play good rugby. They know where they can go. They have 31 schools that they can choose from. Of those 31 schools, you have schools that are you know academically not challenging at all, academically middle of the road, and academically extremely challenging. So any type of student is able to play in this league in the event that they go to one of these schools. On top of that, we're giving schools like, say, a Syracuse or schools like um, <clears throat> like UC Santa Barbara <clears throat> an aspiration for a league to make. Like, I'm not a big fan of relegation. I would more be – I would more look for this this concept to grow and, way, bring way more te- and bring more teams in as they earn in. Teams will fall out if they're not ready to be part of this. And, and I think that there's a couple of uh, – I, I think everybody now has been so focused on preparing for being successful in the league that they've, they've suffered one of, the, one of the big things about – that the Super Leagues uh, – there's a lack of promotion as to what's going on. There's a lack of promotion – as to who's playing on certain teams, a lack of promotion of big games on a national level. I'm not saying that they're not being promoted locally. Like I know that the BYU-Utah game is being promoted locally quite heavily, but it's not being promoted nationally. And I think that, that that's one of the things that there's a massive potential in this league, more so than the Super League, because there's an infrastructure in place of things that people understand. People understand Penn State versus Ohio State. People understand Tennessee against Oklahoma. People understand Air Force BYU. And people understand Cal Berkeley versus UCLA. I think so that, you know jumping on what you're saying, Bruce, I think promotion is big because obviously people need to see and know these games, rugby community and others and know who the good the big players are playing and that's important that's got to happen i think also good rugby has got to happen and i'm not skeptical at all i'm I'm optimistic uh i know it's not totally there yet but say a penn state plays an ohio state or navy plays an army not just because they have those great rivalries in name 
are people going to flock to go see them, but because there's a great game being played. You know, maybe Utah and Brigham Young is going to produce a great game, and that's why people are going to go see it. Um, I think certainly the rivalry helps, but I think it's got to be backed up by quality rugby. And I think that's ultimately, as we move along in this league, has got to happen. And I think these college teams understand the the importance of what they're doing and their trailblazing. And I, I think that they they get it. And one of the other things is is piggybacking on something Mike said earlier. Parents. Parents of high school kids and parents of college kids. If the parents are into it, you have something. And if the parents want to go to the events with the rest of the family, if the parents brag about this to their friends, if the parents are into being recruited by, hey, my son is being recruited by Cal Poly, Cal Berkeley, Central Washington, Claremont, San Diego State, St. Mary's, UC Davis, and UCLA because he's one of the better players on the West Coast, then that's going to be something that really helps to develop this league and keep it moving forward. Now, that's not saying it isn't without problems, and there are definite problems that I see. That they all really work together. I mean, they're going to need each other and and, – I mean, it's been a really cooperative. When I saw them meet uh, out in uh, Rio Tinto and Salt Lake during the high school nationals, they seemed really un- excited and to be working together. And problems have come up, and uh, they, you know, they'll cause some chinks in the armor. But uh, I think they, that unity in these early days of this league and all the, the difficulties that come at them are important. And, um, you know, like you said, it, it, it really has to be equality. Unity, equality, and rugby all right, well, that, that's going to need some work, but uh, Bruce McLean and Mike Tolkien, thank you very much, guys, for being part of this show. And for everyone else, this is Alex Goff from Rugby Magazine and RugbyMag.com. For Bruce McLean and for New York Athletic Club and Xavier High School head coach Mike Tolkien, this is Rugga Matrix America. Rugga Matrix America.